This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world. Donburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about creating these little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So first off, what a momentous week it has been uh, with Joe Biden just being announced the president-elect of America yesterday. What a tumultuous and momentous year it has been. And frankly, right now, I'm just tired, <laughs> tired of thinking and talking and obsessing about America. So I am so ready to turn my attention to another country and uh, another country with a beautiful culture, a fascinating history and a delicious cuisine. And I got to say, I am so impressed with this cookbook that has come out recently from Skyhorse Publishing. And I know that you would be too. It has absolutely stunning photography. Every recipe looks very tempting to cook. And the narrative tells me so much about the people and history of where they're from. It's called The Chilean Kitchen, and I'm pleased to be joined by its co-authors, Pilar Hernandez and Eileen Smith. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, hi. So um, just getting to know you guys, uh, Pilar, you've been writing about Chilean food with your blog, Pilar's Chilean Kitchen and Garden, since 2008, and you are originally from Chile, but you have lived in Houston for 17 years. Yes, exactly. Great. And Eileen, you're a food and travel writer, and you're originally from New York, but you have lived in Santiago, Chile for 16 years. Yes, we couldn't have planned it better. <laughs> how did yes? Yeah, so how did you guys come together to write this book? Uh, I think we both knew about each other for some time. Mm-hmm. I think Pilar had seen my work, I had seen hers. And um, I interviewed her for an article for NPR and about mm-hmm. Chilean food. Mm-hmm. Cool. So was this sort of simmering in the background, this idea of maybe let's do a Chilean cookbook? For me, it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have been thinking that we needed better representation because it had not been a cookbook in a long time about Chilean food developed for the American market. So uh, the last one didn't have pictures. And okay. even if... The Chilean food haven't changed that much. Uh, in the last thirty years, uh, there, yeah, there, there, I, I saw the need of having a cookbook. No kidding. So the last one came out thirty years ago, and who was it by? Twenty years ago, and 20, it's, okay. It is by an um, 
And I, you, uh, American person who is married, I understand to a Chilean person. Mm-hmm. But and she lives, she lived on the country for a while and then wrote the cookbook. Well, I'm so glad. Yes, there's definitely a dearth of Chilean cookbooks. I'm so glad you took up um, this this uh, goal. Um, and and you mentioned there was no photographs in the last one, and of course, photographs are a big part of cookbook publishing today. And the f- photography in this one is really incredible. Um, how did you meet up with uh, Araceli Paz? Araceli. Araceli, Araceli. Paz. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He's a so photographer. I, I, I worked before in a cookbook with Araceli because I have two published book, cookbooks in Chile. Mm-hmm. And the first one, I, I worked with her. So I knew her vision and her talent. And for me, from the beginning, when we wrote the proposal, Araceli was the photographer for this project. Mm-hmm. And I was, of mm-hmm. course, really excited to work with Araceli because I'd seen her work in Pilar's work. And then I'd seen her work in other places as well. And one thing that's been really important is to keep the what we call the Chilenidad, right? Like the Chileanness of the book. And so having mm-hmm. not just not only is Araceli tremendously talented, but she has all of the cultural touchstones of what Chilean food actually looks like on the plate. Right, right. So she also was styling or um plating. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really important. All. Uh, she, she does it all, and, and we are all in our own ways a little control freaks. So but since I have a war with her, I knew that uh, she needed her space, but I trust her vision. So it was just a pleasure to see how she ambitioned all the food because some some of the food is very challenging. So I, I, I was very reassuring to have her in the project. Well, what's one example, if you, if you don't mind, uh, of a dish that she was really crucial to making sure it was right? So we have a, a bunch of tortillas that like frittatas, so they're very flat. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also there is a lot of stews and soups. So uh, that one's to get like a, a good reading in, in a picture is, is not that easy. I do the, the photograph uh, for, my, for my blog, so I know how difficult <laughs> it is. And, yeah. I, and I can recognize that she is so amazing. So, mm. yes. Well, and I, I totally I, hear yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and I always Eileen. talk about how, like, during these 10 days, we did um, cookbook camp because we were all uh, ensconced in Pilar's very comfortable home. She took very good care of us while we were there. But the truth is, <laughs> each of the two, Pilar was, like, was the link to, to Araceli, and they talked a lot before we even met up about um, about props, and I don't really even know what else. And then, of course, Pilar and I were talking about the writing of the book, um, mm-hmm. kind of off like off campus before we all came together. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful experience. So you, so you did this cookbook shoot in 10 days in PLR's home? We, dis- we did all the photographs. We have already written all the recipes and, and we have had all the conversation previous with Eileen. But every time I was cooking something, Eileen was there. So she was seeing the whole process. We have talked about it before, but seeing it there and also having Araceli's uh, like memories and connections to the ditches was, I think it really grew the book in mm-hmm. deepness and representation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it sounds like a, a great team. And I love that you call it a cookbook camp 
I can, I can sort of relate. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, so in your introduction, and, you know, when you explain that Chilean food is sort of this moving target, and to define it requires really delving into the history of the inhabitants of this unique nation. I was just nodding, nodding all along because I'm like, yeah, I, I actually really struggled really hard to tie up the food of Taiwan in a bow when I was working on a cookbook on that and trying to like, you know, unpack everyone who came through. And in the end, I had to be like, okay, well, it's Taiwanese food now <laughs> with a lot of dishes. So anyway, that is to say that, you know, if you wouldn't mind laboring this exercise again, what exactly, you know, makes Chinese uh, Chilean food in your vision? Hey, Larson, that sounds like a good question I for you. <laughs> for me? Yes. I think so. So uh, there is, I think the, the fundamental thing to understand is that for a long time, there was not a culture of uh, restaurants outside in, in Chile. So everything happened at home and the home food was what you offered to your friends all the time. Mm -hmm. And we were for a long time a, a poor country, and so we didn't have immigration. Mm -hmm. And that suddenly started changing when the country opened up after the, the dictatorship of Pinochet ended. Mm -hmm. And so we started getting a lot of Peruvian, uh, Bolivian, that are our neighbors, Argentinian people. And, and now the immigration is coming from Colombia, uh, Haiti and Central America in general. So th this, for a long time, I would say like maybe even a hundred years, the, the, the Chilean food was very monolithic. It was same old, same old. And it's very seasonal and all that, it keep ongoing, but now we're having these influences. So in the book, because I left the country 20 years ago, I go all the time and I have all my families there and my husband is from Chile, so... I, I'm really like <laughs> connected to it, mm -hmm. but in the last 20 years, it's, it have changed in a different direction. We are mm. eating arepas. That is something that when I left the country, I have never seen an arepa before. I met arepas here in Houston. So mm. stuff like that. I, and so I also felt that it was needed to have a cookbook for us Chileans that it, it, it because a cookbook is like a picture, so it, it will be the picture of that moment before we where we have Peruvian, Argentinian, and all the European influences, but we have not started having these new ones that are coming with new, like, vegetables. Mm -hmm. Okra was not known there, and mm -hmm. now okra, you can find it, and, and, I, and I'm so excited about what is coming. Right. And um, let's talk about the geography of Chile, because it's very unique in that it's 2,600 miles long and only 220 miles wide. So there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, I guess, cross-pollination of the food culture within the country too, right? Well, and also the um, if you look at a map of Chile, about two-thirds of the way down, it kind of falls into like many little islands and fjords. And so that part has not been has not had great connectivity historically. And even now, most of what comes in and out um, comes by boat or comes through Argentina. It can also come uh, via plane now. But yeah, so there's a lot of things um, we had to. I mean, for many reasons, we were quite specific about most of the dishes had to do with like the the fit, what we call the fifth region and also the metropolitan region, which is Santiago and the coast, which we refer to that part as the central coast. 
um, mm-hmm. both because it's where most of the population is located, but also it's where Pilar's roots are. And so if mm-hmm. we're going to write a book that has to do with Pilar's growing up and her family memories and the places, you know, the man that they bought the Swiss chard from on the street or down the street from where her <laughs> grandparents' house was, it had to be there. Right. Right. Um, but it, but it's true. It's true that uh, our is our country have very very different cuisines. So there is more to explore. So I always want to tell everyone like go to Chile and try not so leave the capital as soon as you can, mm-hmm. and tra- travel up north and down south south because you're gonna find a lot of different regions like cuisines and. It's, it's a beautiful country. And even mm-hmm. now, even these days, well, right now, of course, travel is mostly curtailed. But even now, um, if someone goes to La Serena, everyone knows that you have to bring back candied papayas. And if you go to Chillán, you're going to bring back a certain kind of sausage. Like these are things that we do. So you go six hours north Regional. and there are foods available that are more difficult or more prized that we don't really get here. And the same as if you just go five hours south. Mm-hmm. Um. I love that. I actually had the pleasure of, of visiting Chile a couple of years ago before when we could travel. What did you <laughs> and, eat? Um, <laughs> everything, everything. Um, a lot of, I, I went to Santiago and then down to Colchagua and then down to Patagonia. So I, I ate everything. The first thing I had was a, um, a mote con huesillos. Con huesillos. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. The most refreshing beverage. Can we talk about that for a second? It's so unique. Sure. Yeah, this mote. Can you tell me? Tell us a little bit for those who have no idea what we're talking about, what exactly it is. So mote con huesillos is a, is a drink, but it's kind of a drink dessert snack all in one. It's something that you usually get on the street. Uh, and it's the only, only time that you we use the, the mote is wheat. And it's been treat like the way uh, the corn is treated in Mexican culture is, is, is have been nixtamales, nixtamales, you know what I'm trying to <laughs> yes. say. Thank you. And, and so it, it opened up and you get a, a softer grain that is cooked. Mm-hmm. And, and this, all this has been done for centuries. So it's an indigenous process. And the huesillos is um, uh, peaches that have been dry. And usually they're dry without the... Without the skin. The, without the skin and also uh, they're dry outside. So that was a very also traditional thing to okay. do, like put it on the on the roof of the houses over the summer and dry to preserve the, the fruit for the winter. And mote con huesillo, so you you put the the peaches to cook and and with with sugar, and then you serve this in a in a big cup in in a glass, and with the mote and the peaches cook, and with the with all the juices that the, you get from the from the cooking process. So, is you drink, you eat. <laughs> yeah. You have fruit, you have grain. Is is is, but it, it's always served cold, and and it's a very traditional snack to get on the street when when the is is a spring tradition, and as soon as 
you you start getting hot again you will get a mote con huesillos and there's a mm-hmm. there's a large hill that kind of defines the most of the topography of Santiago like it's it's the biggest park in Santiago we call the hill Cerro San Cristobal but it's part of a bigger park and up at the top it's very traditional that cyclists will ride up there and then have a mote con huesillo and it's like it's an event i mean you can't have a quick mote con huesillo and you would never get it to go like it's a play it's a thing you get the glass there's a long spoon and you're there and it can take i don't know how long would it take a, a just a not a speed eating person to, to to drink and eat a mote con huesillo like 15 minutes 20 minutes like it's a long yeah, process 20 minutes yeah because yeah, that's a- what i think of it like a snack it's not a drink really like you could just you know gulp and go with your life no it's really <laughs> it's healthy whole grains right it's totally yeah it's a little little sugary (laughs) it's a little sweet (laughs) yeah yeah okay the peach doesn't even seem like it's dried though in the end because it's like totally reconstituted Mm -hmm. yes and we always get soft we always joke that there should be peach trees all over santiago because people are eating them and then the pits don't always find their way into the trash of course but uh there are some peach (laughs) trees around but not not as many as you'd think So I know this is like a tricky question, but you you write uh, that maybe there is no good, there's no consensus on this yet, but is there a national dish, like the most beloved, fried, you know, proud dish of of Chile? I think that for me personally is pastel de choclo because Mm -hmm. I I love, and, and pastel de choclo is a corn, sort of it's like you can imagine like a cheaper pie but it's instead of having potato on top you have like a corn pudding for me that's uh, the most iconic dish but it's not a it's not as old as other dishes like charqui can that really comes from the indigenous people and or everything that is used on that dish it was like before the colonization mm-hmm. so Maybe that one is a good one. And then if you want to just talk about what is most widely eaten still in Chile is the empanada de pino. So Empanada de pino. And that, you write, has roots in, from from Italy and Spain mm, and Europe. From, yeah. yeah. So empanadas are, came to, to America with the Spaniards. So right, every, right. every almost every country... Colombia and from, I will say, Venezuela, Colombia down, they have their own empanada version. Mm-hmm. And the dough can change a lot. So it, it can be made with corn, it can be made with, or, or in Chile, corn is not as widely used as we don't have tortillas and we don't use it for, for those in general, in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the empanada de pino, the dough is made with uh, wheat flour. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of influences. Um, Let's cut to a quick little commercial break for a moment, and we'll be right back to chat about a lot more of these dishes. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. 
While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Okay, and we're back chatting with the co-authors of The Chilean Kitchen. It's Eileen Smith and Pilar Hernandez. So we were just talking about some of the sort of hits of Chilean cuisine currently. Um, I just wanted to get back to something you mentioned, Pilar, um, that, you know, during the dictatorship from 1973 to 1990, um, it didn't really allow for restaurant culture to proliferate like in other parts of the world. Um, how do you think that has made an impact on what's enjoyed now that, you know, there, there are many restaurants? So uh, for a long time, when, when restaurants opened up again, there was not a really a valorization of our own cuisine. Mm-hmm. But that have changed that the same way that in many other places is is even changing. So there is now opportunities to eat uh, good Chilean food in restaurants, mm-hmm. but it took a while. So it, okay. it, it really, at the beginning, when, when we started getting the first restaurants we got after the opening, it was uh, American res- fast, fast food restaurants. I remember oh. the first time uh, McDonald's opened up and the lines were incredible. <laughs> oh, and it was a whole thing. And Pizza Hut was also one of the first that... So at the beginning... Uh, there was a lot of excitement for all these things that we could see on the movies. And, and that was really my, when I was growing up, we could see in the movies, McDonald's, but uh, we have never had one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. And Pilar, you also write that, you know, you grew up in a, a traditional home where your aunts, your grandmother and your mother were just terrific cooks. Um and do you think that this tradition continues now that we have so many restaurants where people are just natural cooks and skilled? So I think, I think well, with the pandemic now, everyone is cooking at home. So I can tell you, but I can tell you because uh, with my blog, uh, my, my, I have uh, English, English speaking blog and I also have my Spanish blog that is, is I would say it's the biggest uh, cooking blog in Chile. So I, I I talk a lot with people who use my recipes from mm-hmm. and and a lot of them they grew up and they went to college and they never learned how to cook from their moms. So they right. get they 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 reach out to me through the blog to learn these traditional recipes. But I think at the end of the day, and because this happened to us with when we moved here with my husband, the first two years in Houston, oh, there is so much, it was so much 
uh, new cuisines that we could try. But at the end of the day, when you're feeling down and you need like a hug, you you go back to your comfort food. So <laughs> I think there is with the pandemic, this process have accelerated, but we always going to have the backbone is going to be or Chilean food mm-hmm. and homemade. Well, and I, and I think, too, as family kind of the family family life got a little bit disrupted by people being able to get their own apartments. And so people moved away, but then they would come home. This is what I've seen. I've been here since 2004. People would come home on the weekends. But then if you move far away from home, maybe it's hard to, you know, you'd go for like a Sunday lunch or a Saturday lunch. And lunch, by the way, is like, that's the whole day. I mean, don't make another plan because you're not going to get that. You're (laughs) there. You're there for the duration. Enjoy. Have a nice time. Um, but you know, as people moved further away from home, then, uh, they didn't have as much access. And so if they didn't learn from the older generation and as the older generation, you know, stops cooking because they've gotten older because they're no longer with us, that creates a gap. And I think that's why that's one of the many reasons why Pilar's blog and also this cookbook are such an important part essentially of the Mm -hmm. canon of Chilean cookery. Like it, it's gonna, it's making a snapshot of something that really literally could be lost if, Mm-hmm. People don't have it. So this is a way to make sure that everyone can have it. Yeah, preserving these these traditions. It's that's it's a fantastic job. And you guys have done such a great job. I love how this cookbook, by the way, is is um arranged by season um with uh such a variety of dishes throughout. Um and of course we haven't talked about this too much, but Chile Ch- Chile has a very important agricultural industry. So many of the off-season fruits that are literally across the street from me in my bodega right now in New York City are grown in Chile. And it has an important wine-growing region too. So how do these crops, many of which are, are new in Chile, how does that impact the cuisine overall? There, there is an impact, and 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 it's so. I grew up in in in, in Colchagua, like it, it, so. It's it's really what is considered where most of the fruits and veggies are grown in Chile. Mm-hmm. It's the most fertile valley, and my my grandparents have uh, peaches, cherries, uh, walnut tree, avocado tree. I grew up with all that, like grapes, abundant, and. The there is have, so all that is is still going on, and most people have fruit trees, and you see fruit trees on the street too. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not so much in Santiago, but in in as as soon as you travel a little, it, people still is having this access mm. to all these trees. Uh, bes- besides the industrification of agriculture, that is also something that is going on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is one case that is very, like, we can talk about it, that is arandanos, mm-hmm. is blueberries. And that's mm-hmm. a recent introdu- introduction to our uh, fruits. And But it's been smooth. So it's a berry. People use it as a berry. And now we have it in kuchens. Like, right. mm-hmm. we, there is one kuchen, the blackberry uh, one in the book and, and that now that one is is done with blueberries all the time and no one uh, like no one that's nice we we love we have a big sweet tooth uh, <laughs> so yes the more fruit, everything the better. is welcome <laughs> but, there, <laughs> yes. but there are i mean we do have a, a like a, a 
I wouldn't say we have a huge amount, but we have a number of local fruits, but they couldn't make it into the cookbook because we can't ask people to get, um, I don't know, we can't get, ask them to get uh, calafate or murta or kaki, like these things that here we cook with and we have. For an international cookbook, that doesn't really apply. But also because these things are so mass produced or mass grown here, it has driven their prices down. They're much more accessible to us. So, for example, I just mentioned mortilla, which is a fruit that I really love. It's called the Chilean myrtleberry in English. But it's difficult to find. Like in Santiago, again, I'd have to go like to sort of upper Patagonia to get it. Like I, it would be a very unusual to find it here and it would be very expensive as opposed to blueberries, which there's a stand right outside my door. Right, right. Yeah, no, no doubt that would be. And, you know, some of these fruits, they're just so, so delicious. I'm sure it must have been tempting to include them. But, you know, you have to do what you have to do for a cookbook. Um, and of course, there's tons of coasts in Chile. So lots of seafood. I love the paella marina, the seafood soup that you have here in the spring section, I think. The paella marina. Um, Right, right. So there's, it's just, and uh, also the um, chupe de mariscos, that's also a classic, right? Yes, yes. It, it's a, a sort of casserole of of various seafood, or sometimes it's called pastel if it's just all crab, right? Yes, it is. It, so it, I will say the most traditional in Chile is made with crab, is the stone crab. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is used and and you thicken it with a little bread and then you you put it on the oven to 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 grill and and so but it's it's, it's very traditional we did it with uh, like seafood mix because craft here is very expensive so we mm-hmm. wanted to make the book very accessible and something that you could go to your n- local yeah. supermarket or bodega in in New York, Brooklyn, and and just get to cook because Chilean food is 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 very accessible. So mm-hmm. we wanted to translate that to here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, something I think is very tempting for folks maybe this time of the year with all the winter squashes around is the sopapillas, which oh, yes. is a uh, fried fried dough with squash. It's uh, that's a delicious. classic. <laughs> it is good, yeah. Is and 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 really, you can go sweet or or salty with it. You can use it as an appetizer. With okay, I do it. I do this all the time. It's not Chilean with with guacamole. They're delicious. Okay, wait, wait <laughs> a really? minute, Pilar. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we had so much because uh, I I'm a food. I'm I'm. This was a traditional cookbook, and of course, I was very on board with that. But I would try to combine things that had already been made, and Pilar would just she would just roll her eyes. And now I found out that you put guacamole on sopapillas. Mm. Yes, I'm telling. <laughs> Breaking rules here. No, it's great. It's very like, versatile. I live in it sounds good. What do you want me to do? No, it's very versatile. It's beautiful. I mean, it's great. I love it. And sopapillas are delicious. I- I like that. You can take it in a sweet or savory direction. You can like maybe make it a dessert, a, li- a little bit sweeter, but also have, I-, I actually made this. It's so, it's so much fun. If you like making like donuts or something or anything like a fried puffy, puffy dough, but uh, yeah, I- I've seen it. I think I've seen it in restaurants, like in a bread, you know, bread and butter basket as well. 
In Chile, in Chile yeah. now it's very traditional to put mm-hmm. it on the bread basket. So and you will have it with pebre that is also in the book or salsa verde. Salsa you can verde, go, that's right. And that will be good appetizer. Yes. What are some things that as as you know, Eileen mentioned, you just can't find here, but you really wanted to put in the book but couldn't because of that reason. Is there anything? Um, I don't know if we really wanted to put it in the book, but the um, the Pascualina, we wanted to put um, artichoke bottoms in. Remember, Pilar? That's how you would normally make oh, yeah. it? For the Pascualina de Espinaca? Didn't we talk about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, but <laughs> the thing with the Pascualina is that, uh, yeah, normally in Chile, artichokes are very cheap. They're grown okay. like wildly, and and that was one of the sad things when I moved here. That when I saw the price of the artichoke, I was <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" And because they were like ubiquitous in Chile, all, we I eat so much. We we eat it every week, and maybe in California, sometimes sometimes you can find it at, at a better price. But in general, yeah, it, it will be. Like too luxurious to do the Pascualina with artichokes here in the in, mm. the, in the United States. So it's mm-hmm. it's not really that we left out anything essential so much as we accommodated what we know, um, right? You know, and also when we were including recipes, we would talk about like which thing do we think that sounds, which thing sounds better and more adjacent to something that people already know, and so they'll feel inspired to cook it because it's not you know, it's not totally unknown to them. And so we made, we made a few adjustments, but for the most part, we didn't, I mean, we made the kuchen with uh, blackberries because, I don't know, we weren't going to put in lo- local Chilean fruit. Um, there's a few other things. We, we did have a discussion about cocha yuyo, which is a giant kelp, which a lot of people have a great distaste for. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. I, I but a lot that. of people love it. Um, <laughs> but we were like, that's not something we can ask people I'm to try to ma- source. majority. Right. I, I, yeah. I, I love that, um, you know, Chileans enjoy these seaweed, this kelp. Um, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's something I'm, that you see mostly in Asian cuisines, I guess, but it's also, you know, in European cuisines. It's, so it's also in South American. Sorry, what were you going to say, Pilar? I was going to say that we also eat like closer like to the root and that will be in a salad and it's, it's, it's like fresh. It's not mm-hmm. dry out because so, yeah, we really grow up eating my at least most of the people who live by the sea eats a lot of seaweeds and 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 well, they're great for you so why not yeah and, and like that root part indigenous people true. used to do it too mm. so. right right and that root part like the ulte that we call it here i've never seen that not in chile i've never seen it any place else it's almost mm. um maybe mushroom there's a little bit of crossover i think in texture between mushrooms and seaweed sometimes so maybe if you'd never come across it before mm. you might think of it as like an oyster mushroom or something right. but it's really nice okay. it's really fresh it goes great in salads but we couldn't ask people to try to source that right so cool to hear about um it's it's almost thanksgiving here and i'm eyeing your cazuela with turkey recipe <laughs> for an alternate because i'm not going to make a huge turkey for myself <laughs> and uh, i love that you write that nobody's sure why it has to be a female turkey traditionally for this <laughs> 
dish. <laughs> that was part of our ling- So I like to say that the stories, um, if it's not clear, all of the recipes are Pilar's and the stories are what I wrote in, in, in collaboration with her um, mm-hmm. and with a lot of her input. Um, I like to say that the stories have, they always have something historical, cultural, or linguistic. And so there you hit on one of the linguistic things. We don't know why it's a female turkey. No one knows. We asked many Chileans. <laughs> no one is clear. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. Um, hey, but why not? She turkey. <laughs> it's an interesting. I, I love that you guys are what you guys are doing to to collect and preserve the the cultural uh, history of the cuisine and to compile it for audiences all over in this wonderful book. So um, it looks like that's about all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. It was a pleasure. And great. And what if I do get back to Chile in another lifetime? I don't know when <laughs> we're going to be able to travel again. What like must I try? Do you think? What's like the one thing people should try? No, but depend on the season because for yeah. real is so seasonal. So. Okay. I mean, spring, summer. Like right now, because I'm in Chile, I can tell you like when the when the nisperos came, so that's loquats, when they arrived on the trees and then they started showing up in the market, like there's, I don't know, for me, there's nothing like kind of walking down the street, making a mess of yourself eating nisperos, but it's probably not well looked upon. I don't know, Pilar, if you have a different huh. opinion. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I will say whatever is in season because really you're going to, the fruit and, and veggies in Chile are like, amazing mm. um, like really really you don't we we don't know we Chileans don't know what we are eating until we get out of the country and we realize wow so it's mm. seasonally if you go there just try to get invited to a house uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes and and eat whatever they offer to you because yeah that's where the good stuff is but you can also buy fruit on the streets. So mm-hmm. there is a, a, the same way like you will find newspaper stands in Chile. A fruit stand is everywhere. Absolutely. That's great general advice um, for everyone. So uh, thank you again. And I hope everyone checks out the Chilean Kitchen 75 seasonal recipes for stews, bread, salads, cocktails, desserts, and more. We only scratch the surface of those recipes, but... Um, it's a it's a beautiful book, and thank you so much for spending your afternoon talking with me about it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks everyone at Heritage Radio Network, and we'll talk to you next time on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 
Thanks for listening.